0: Welcome to the Pattern Podcast from KXE in London. As a church, we want to learn ways of being with Jesus, becoming like him and doing the things he did in order to see this city we love transformed. This podcast is a resource to help us explore these spirit-filled patterns of living and start putting them into practice every day. For this episode, we caught up with John Mark Comer to explore the idea of taking a Sabbath. John Mark is the lead pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. He's a passionate advocate of the spiritual disciplines and has talked openly about his experience of burnout, an experience that's led him to prioritise taking a Sabbath every week. John Mark, thank you so much for getting out of bed a bit earlier, all the way over there in Portland. Yeah, uh, before noon, and... it was hard to do. <laughs> uh, and to, to chat to us about about Sabbath and the practice yeah. of, of, of taking a Sabbath, we're really grateful oh, to you. I, and just generally... Wait. We're really grateful to you for your help along the way. We've gone on a similar journey over a similar period of time. So um, thank you for all of your help
1: Yeah, um, with
0: it along the way. Um, we would love to explore the practice of Sabbath with you. Uh, could you start by talking to us about uh, really simply w- what does it mean to take a Sabbath? What does it mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, at its most ba- basic, Sabbath is simply an entire day each week set aside for these beautiful and broad categories of rest and worship. So it's an anchor point to the week both emotionally and physically and then even more importantly spiritually to kind of anchor yourself in the presence of God in a posture of rest and worship that is the climax of the week and then at the same time the baseline for the week ahead. Hmm. That's amazing. So, so what is its uh, biblical basis? Obviously we would be
0: familiar with it from the commandments and the Exodus narrative, but what's its biblical basis beyond that?
1: And, and where do you see it? Do you see it in the life of Jesus? Yeah, abs- well, absolutely. In fact, a huge majority. I don't have enough scholarly insight yet to have an actual percentage, but a giant number of the stories about Jesus, in particular the healing stories of Jesus, happen on the Sabbath. Pretty much every time you read that he was at a synagogue, that's just code for it was a Friday night or a Saturday morning, it was the Jewish Sabbath. But, I mean, it begins, a lot of people... I think, particularly in the church tradition that I grew up in, misread the Sabbath as this kind of guilt trip, legalistic hangover from the Old Testament or from Judaism or for the Torah. And they forget that the idea of Sabbath literally starts on page one or two of the Bible. So at the end of Genesis chapter one is, you know, sixth day of creation and that telling of the story. And then chapter two, verse one says that God, after he had finished everything that he had made, God rested or he's Sabbath. And that's the Hebrew word there for Sabbath. And and he called this day blessed and holy. And so it actually begins, who knows how many years or even millennia, before there's ever a Torah or a Ten Commandments. And then you see it all the way through. You see it in the life of Moses. You see it in Israel in the desert before they get to the Ten Commandments, before it's all codified in the law, before you have the prophets railing against how people break the Sabbath in the name of shopping and all this stuff, and long before you ever get to Jesus. So it's absolutely, I mean, biblical theology, it's there on page one or two and run. All the way through. And a lot of people, if you just jump into the life of Jesus, and it's easy to misinterpret Jesus because he sounds a bit cranky about the Sabbath. He's constantly kind of critiquing and correcting the first century Jewish practice of the Sabbath. But we forget that in this way, and, and you know, in some ways our world is very similar to the world of the New Testament, and in other ways it's radically dissimilar. This is one in which it's radically dissimilar, particularly to the Jewish culture of his day. He was living at a time and place where the entire culture, the majority of the culture, was absolutely caught up in this hyper legalistic Bondage to rules and regulations and rituals that had lost the relational underpinning. And there were literally 1,500 laws that had grown up around the 613 in the Torah that they called the Mishnah. And it was this hyper-rule-based society where the Sabbath had completely lost the heart posture behind it or the meaning or the intent of God. We live in, that's not a problem. I don't know anybody that's all pent up by legalism around a day of week of rest and worship. We literally have the exact opposite problem. Most people don't even know what a Sabbath is much less get caught up in legalism around it. We're workaholics and busy and digitally distracted and don't even want to allegorize things like Sabbath into spiritual rest, but most of us don't even know what that means. And so I think it's easy to misunderstand that when Jesus is correcting the abuse of the Sabbath, he's not negating the practice of it. In fact, most of the stories of healing that we read of Jesus take place on the Sabbath, and that's because I think it is in particular a day for healing.
0: Incredible. So would you say... Um, it, it's, is it a commandment still? Is that, what, is that how we should understand it? Is it a good idea? What, what, what are we talking yeah, about? Yeah, I mean,
1: that, and again, that's a little over my pay grade. Scholars debate and argue over whether or not that commandment is still binding. So you have some people, one school basically says there's no command in the New Testament to Sabbath, and that's true. So you read Ephesians or Galatians or Romans or First Peter, and there's no command there to Sabbath on the seventh day of the week. And so others would say, hey, we've been set free from it in the same way that we've been set free from the kosher dietary laws and animal sacrifice and circumcision and stuff like that. And then others would say, whoa, 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 Um, the absence of a command doesn't equal the negation of a command. It's one of the Ten Commandments. So nobody's saying that about any of the other nine. Nobody's like, great, we can worship other gods now and we can murder and we can lie and we can have adultery and covetousness is totally fine. So why would that one be singled out as no longer binding? And then the other counter-argument is that it's actually rooted far before the law. Before it's ever codified as a command, it's in the creation rhythm. In Genesis 1, there's no command to Sabbath. God just creates the world, and he builds into the universe this fabric, this kind of rhythm of six days of work and one day of rest. And he takes this day of rest, and he blesses it, and he calls it holy. And it's just is, and then it's an invitation to live into that rhythm. So all that to say, I'm a bit more on the it's still for today side of things But I would never come down hard on that I think it's a little bit of a red herring Because it doesn't really matter if it's a command or not It still stands as wisdom It still stands as the way that God set up your mind, your body, and your soul to thrive So there's no command in the New Testament to sleep eight hours a night But as a general rule, if you want to sleep five hours a night you know Maybe that's not gross sin as the early church fathers and mothers called it but it's just stupid and unwise, and your soul and your body and your relationship with God and others will all pay a price eventually for it. So I think, in the same way, for sure, it stands as wisdom. So
0: you seeing it as wisdom, you see it as wisdom for your own life. Then I take it. So wh- yeah. what's your personal journey with this? Where where have you come from, and 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 why are you why are you practicing
1: it? Yeah, I mean, my, yeah, I mean. The short version is so I grew up in a church tradition where just nothing was said about the Sabbath. It wasn't like preached against, it just wasn't preached about at all. And if it came up, I, I would have thought of it as a thing for. Jewish people, or for Seventh-day Adventists, which were quite suspect, or whatever, it just was not remotely even in our frame of reference. You know, every church tradition has a few practices or spiritual disciplines that it will put the focus on. I don't think it's all bad. Even You even see that in Sermon on the Mount. You see the three that were the focus of the pharisaical first-century Judaism, which is really interesting because they're very different than what we have today. It's prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And so the church tradition I grew up in, it was essentially church on Sunday, Bible reading and prayer. Those were kind of the three core anchor practices or spiritual disciplines, all three of which I think are fantastic and are still a part of my life. But Sabbath was just not on the radar. So fast forward to... I guess my late 20s, and we had planted a church, and it was growing really fast, and I am pretty type A by personality, and I had just been sucked into the insanity of church and life and busyness and then marriage and family, and my soul was just done. I was facing burnout, and I stumbled. I don't even remember where I found it, but I stumbled into this little book, The Sabbath, by Abraham Joshua Heschel. It's not even a follower of Jesus, but is it a brilliant Writer and theologian and Jewish mystic. And it's a short little read and it's absolutely beautiful. And it was honestly my first kind of intro to A Theology of the Sabbath. And I read it and then I read it again and then I read it again. It kind of became my bedside table book. And that just kind of started me down a path and a journey of both learning biblically and theologically about this ancient practice and then beginning to experiment with it. And it was multiple years of kind of stops and starts and three steps forward and two steps back. And my wife wasn't remotely into it at first. And, you know, there's just a journey that we had to go on. And now it's become an anchor, like one of the most important practices or spiritual disciplines for my life. It's become like multiple Saturday afternoons, you know, my wife and I will turn to each other and say, how did we ever survive without this practice in our life? Because it's become that core to our emotional health and our spiritual life with Jesus. So, uh, the spiritual disciplines,
0: they have a sort of dual focus, in, right? They they somehow shape us inwardly. Um, uh, and yet in doing so they can then shape the world around us, right? So as we are changed, we can then change the world around us. How do you think the Sabbath has shaped you? Uh, how do you think it shapes us in general?
1: Well, I mean, if you want to get like really high level into spiritual formation, My basic theory is that we are transformed, that as you just said, it's transformed people that transform. So if we go out and we want to change London or change Portland or change wherever we call home, the reality is most of us end up more changed by the city we live in or changed by the world than we do actually change the world itself until we are formed into the image of Jesus. And so we have to first be formed. And my basic theory is that we are essentially transformed by spirit and by truth. Spirit being the presence and the person and the power of God. And truth, meaning reality, which often comes to us from the scriptures, from one another, from a prophetic word, from listening prayer. The truth, the word of God into our mind and into our body. And so what all the spiritual disciplines do, and Sabbath in particular, is they slow us down long enough to create space to present our mind and our body before the Spirit and the truth of God. Um, we call them practices on purpose, not spiritual disciplines for all sorts of reasons. One, when people hear spiritual, in the modern English lexicon, and maybe it's a bit different in the UK than here, but most people on this side of the pond kind of think esoteric or mystic or weird or otherworldly. That's not what the word means. Relational is honestly, I think, a better word than spiritual. To be spiritual means to be in relationship with a spirit. It doesn't even mean the Holy Spirit per se. You can be spiritual with all sorts of other spirits that are good or are evil. It's to relate to and to be even animated by relationship to the spirit of god. And so and then the word discipline is just a dirty word for most millennials across the western world. I'm all for it, but I I find I'm the exception to the rule. So and you know the goofy thing is the spiritual disciplines are actually things that we do with our body as well as with our mind i mean that 's why Western Europeans just can 't get a mind around fasting because fasting is a way that we connect with God through our stomach and post enlightenment we just can 't even fathom that kind of a portal of connection to God. but whatever the practice is, and Sabbath is a beautiful example, the goal is just to present your mind and your body before the spirit or the presence of God. And truth, reality. And one of the beautiful things that happens on a Sabbath, you know, most of us just distract ourselves from reality. We escape from reality into a Netflix show or into our work or into sexuality or into shopping or into hiking or into activity or to any, whatever our, you know, cultural narcotic of choice is. And the beautiful thing about Sabbath, and especially, you know, if you practice it and how many of us do where we don't buy, we don't sell, we turn off all of our devices. Again, not out of legalism, but out of desire to present ourselves before the spirit and the truth of God is all the stuff that we've been out running that week, good and bad catches up to us. And this is why always part of Sabbath, there's like an emotional lull that normally comes with it, like even an emotional sad part to the day that then gives way to a deep joy because you have to face reality. M. Scott Peck, who um, later became a follower of Jesus, but wasn't when he said this, was a psychologist who said, who defined mental health as the ongoing process of dedication to reality at all costs. And I think that's just a good definition of maturity, emotional or spiritual, the ongoing process of dedication to reality at all costs. And so when we Sabbath, there's a lot of things going on. Some of it's just joy and celebration and delight and pour a bottle of wine and go on a hike in the woods and eat a big meal with your family and your friends. But part of it is just slowing down long enough to make space To encounter the Spirit of God and to encounter the truth or the reality of God and face it. And the reality might be a sin in our life or a worry that we're feeling or a temptation that we're wrestling with or a disappointment from a few days before or an anxiety we have for the week ahead. But all of that is there in our life under the surface. And Sabbath creates a safe environment for it to rise to the surface and to experience healing and the presence of God from it. And when we don't do that, when we just rush, past it with busyness or distraction or entertainment or work or whatever, it ends up leaking out all through the week in all sorts of different ways, and even through our body and exhaustion and weary immune systems and sickness and tiredness, ways that even our body is saying to us, you're going too fast, you need to slow down, you're not a machine, you're a human being, you have limits, one of the best lessons of Sabbath, you have limits, and you need to meet God in those limits, face reality with God and their experience healing and life for the week ahead.
0: So if we as a community here at KXE really get a hold of this, if we lean into it and every week we stop and slow down for long enough, like you've just been talking about, to encounter the Holy Spirit and the truth um, and be shaped, what what does that mean for culture around us? What, how is that going to speak to the culture around us? How are we going to be able to shape this city that we love, London, um, more?
1: Oh, what a great question. You know, often when we think about a move of God or the transformation of a city or a society, we immediately kick into like our inner type A, like what do we need to do? Let's contend, let's go forward, let's work, let's do justice, let's preach, and all of that's beautiful stuff. But what we have to recognize is that our culture has sped up to 90 miles per hour, in particular if you're in a London or in the urban core of any city like that. I mean, this the sheer speed, the pace of life, there's a reason that most people don't live in London long term. Most people cannot handle it emotionally because the pace of life is so fast. But even outside of a London or New York or San Francisco, anywhere in the metropolitan world, it's just so fast. And we have an entire culture that has secularized, meaning it has it has de-spiritualized, it has put God out of the equation and turned life into this hedonistic and materialistic pursuit and so our whole society is essentially built around accomplishment and accumulation, especially in a major center or major city. Accomplishment and accumulation. So one of the most punk rock, rebellious subversive, counter cultural things we can do is take an entire day of the week turn everything off, stop stop consuming, stop entertaining, stop critiquing, and just be present to God and our family and friends. That is a radical apologetic for the city. Every time we're on Sabbath and we'll walk down the street to a, a donut shop or something, and you know we run into people that don't follow Jesus, what are you doing today is the inevitable question. Oh, we're Sabbathing. Oh my gosh, tell me about that. It's just like this dreamy look in people's eyes. Where We will literally have people say, tell us more. We want to know about that. That's incredible that you do that because it's so Counterculture to a day. And then when you go into the week and you're no longer sucked into this busyness and anger and anxiety and burnout and agitation that drives people but instead you live from this Sabbath kind of posture of just you know who you are with God. You're rested and content in his presence. You get that the most important thing in life is not things, it's not how you score on the test that week, it's not whether or not you make the sale, that stuff matters, and you're gonna see the city transformed. But what really matters is life with God and each other and the people that we become and the work of the kingdom that we do. When that becomes your heart posture, then you become countercultural all seven days of the week, when you are what Thomas Friedman called the "non-anxious presence in the room, as everybody else is stressed out and tired, and you're just coming in from a very different place. Again, I don't want to idolize it. like Sabbath isn't the silver bullet for all things modern Western world, but man, it has become, for me, a core practice. So all that to say, I think in the past revivals or moves of God have been about, you know, waking people out of laziness and moving people to action. But I think that this coming revival and move of God that we're all praying for and contending for and believing for more and more is going to be shaped by a little bit more of a monastic kind of slowing down as a cultural, like countercultural rebellion to the achievement burnout culture that is the Western world.
0: Okay, so someone's listening to this, getting all excited about this, feeling motivated. Um, Give us some heads up. What's the warning sign? Like, How how are we going to struggle to practice this? What's the barriers, the things that are going to get in the way of us doing this Sabbath?
1: Yeah, I mean, a couple of things I would say. One is just the main problem with following Jesus in general is we're just all too busy to do it. So, um, you just, this is, uh, this will just confront your busyness head on and you just have to take a long, hard look. You can't add Sabbath in on top of your already over busy life. You have to like cut stuff out. Second thing I would say is start where you're at. So, you know, don't like try to go from workaholic to Abraham Joshua Heschel in one weekend. Like if all you can do is three or four hours on a Saturday morning And where you you know if that's all you can manage right now and you can't turn off your phone you can't then just start where you're at with no guilt no shame but then begin to move forward and so figure out where the growth edge is for you if you are you starting from zero are you starting from three are you starting from seven figure out where you're at and just start there with no guilt nor shame and move forward three I would say just know that Sabbath is an art form Uh, in fact even more than many of the other practices. Um, but I guess this is true of anything, of reading the Bible, of prayer, of fasting. It's an art form. And so think of like if you set out to you know, practice to play the piano this weekend, nobody would expect to be amazing at piano week one. You would expect that to take years of practice. And so think about the Sabbath that way as well. There is a skill to it, an art form to it, that will take you a little while. Now, it's different than the piano analogy because really all we're doing is trying to present ourselves before God. And anybody can do that right here, right now. This weekend, you can do that. Um, but just like settle in for the long haul be okay with it. Think about, you know, learning theorists talk about the J curve. I don't know if you know, if you can imagine like a, a graph. And normally, when you try to do something for the first time, you actually get worse at it before you get better. So you might feel like, oh, I really enjoy my day off. And then you try to Sabbath and you're like, it's horrible. And I was just anxious and stressed out. And I could have kept reaching for my phone or whatever. That's totally normal. As you focus on any new practice or discipline, it's normal that you would feel like you get worse at it before you get better. And you just have to stick with it all the way through that J-curve. Just stay at it. Don't give up. You're not going to nail this in a couple of weekends. It took me years to even kind of feel like it was really in the fabric of my body. And it's still something that we have to fight for in a restful kind of way. And finally, I would just say know that all of the practices of Jesus will expose your flesh they will they will expose the part of you that doesn't want to follow Jesus, the part of you that is addicted to accomplishment or accumulation, the part of you that is just totally using cultural narcotics to get by, the part of you that doesn't even actually desire to be with God for an entire day of the week. It will expose all of that in you and in me, and that's a good thing. So if you feel that, if you feel that pushback of your flesh two mistakes. One would be to like wallow in guilt and shame over it. And the other would be to justify your flesh as the authentic self that is you. And it's not, it's the worst part of you, the worst part of me. So just see that, name that and graciously meet God. And that's the beauty. I mean, Sabbath just gives you space to meet God where you're at, not where you should be. And so if where you're at is just super stressed out and anxious, meet God there. If where you're at is so, your identity is so tied up in what you accomplish that the idea of an entire day where you're not doing anything, being seen by anybody, just delighting in God and your life in his world, if that freaks you out, then meet God right there. If you just get sad for no reason and you can't even figure out, meet God there. Or if you're filled with joy and you're you know farther down the J curve and you're just loving your life then just celebrate. But meet God where you're at, not where you should be. And then just start small and move forward. So literally, for some people, Sabbath should just be uh, an easy Saturday where they don't do that much and that's all you have to start and eventually you want to work up more and more into kind of the practice and there's thousands of years of great ideas about how to do the practice well and all sorts of practitioners that are trying to figure out how to do it with an iPhone and an urban lifestyle and little kids and just ask around it'll take you years to figure out but it's it's a journey worth going on. John Mark, thank you so much
0: incredibly clear and helpful and inspiring,
1: uh, can't wait for our church to get stuck in Thank you so much. Yeah, so happy
0: you guys are on the journey. Thank you for listening to the Pattern Podcast. If you'd like to explore more spirit-filled patterns of living, head over to pattern.org.uk.